a lot of people believe that just exposing the cause of the trauma is the solution. And it really isn't. I mean, there's the process of letting it go, the process of forgiving it, the process of running its course and getting them to where acceptance is taking place and adaptation and adjustment is really taking place is the point. And, and so when they adapt to the trauma or the sensitizing event, that whole strategy of adapting to the sensitizing event is a different adaptation than regular everyday life. That can cause uh, thrill-seeking to infinity because they don't want to come down out of the intensity of it, or it can cause avoiding stimulus and wanting to be almost hiding out because they can choose many different ways to react to the same event. There's not one way that a person responds to that stimulus, is there? You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Hello, everybody. This is Robbie Spear Miller, your host for the Hypnosis Show podcast. Today, we are joined once again by Scott McFall. And the topic we're going to talk about today is about overcoming trauma and the, the path to do that that we would recommend in terms of hypnosis and how that could complement other avenues that people might be taking. Um, Scott has been, he's worked with tens of thousands of clients. He's been doing this for over 35 years years. He's been my mentor for about 15 years and taught me everything I know. Um, and he has helped many, many people. Hi, Robbie. You know, the, thing, the, thing, the, the thing that, uh, you know, I wanted to mention, you know, in, in, in helping people to get over what you're talking about, there's, there's just so much to think about because really, you know, in NLP, they call some of that stuff compulsion blowout, right? Where, or, or belief blowout, where somebody's going along and everything's fine and and they all of a sudden they have some kind of disillusioning disillusioning event. Like I, for some people, divorce isn't that big of a deal. For other people, it really is as though they've been thrown off a building. I mean, the terror of it is awful, right? For some people, having a health problem is something they're accepting, while other people are completely traumatized by it. Like, so what is one person's trauma? may not traumatize another. What is one person's overwhelm might not overwhelm another. And it really does have a great deal to do with expectation, don't you think? For sure. I think that everyone likes soap operas, you know? Everyone likes, you know, a drama at the movies. You know, there's, there's no movie that goes, let's have a tepid hour and a half. Let's have a nice, easygoing hour and a half, right? So the issue is that as we get grow up watching the movies, you understand that not only do we have the secondary benefit of sympathy that comes from other people after we get overwhelmed or shocked or go through some kind of trauma, but we also have the fact that our life starts to fit almost like the plot of a film. And we have more of our expectations built by cinema than we do by academics. We have more of our expectations built by certain stories than we do by real life. 
so I think as a practitioner, recognizing that the client is telling you a story and you're empathizing with them and you're in rapport, and it becomes pretty hard to remember that it doesn't have to be a trauma. Maybe it started out as a trauma. Maybe it started out as that bad. And, you know, it could be a, a trauma like a soldier in war or in, in a way getting injured. It could be somebody finding out that someone they were close to was trying to kill them. It could be as simple as uh, losing a job. Or it could be the terror of having something very bad happen to a child in our family. But these, what we'll call these are deal breakers in the brain for why we're allowed to like life or calm down or chase a dream and whatnot. <clears throat> so if you've never been through one, it's hard to recognize how much of that can be physical. And that's why often, you know, if you're a licensed track professional, working with these cases is a certain way. You need to check with your jurisdiction to find out if you're a consulting hypnotist, what you can and cannot do with these types of cases. Should always operate in your scope of practice. But I, I think that our, our first big thing to recognize is that, wow, you know, their nervous system is in a type of shock, fight or flight, or in an alternative universe trying to deny what they've been through or not cope with, with what they've been through because there's no reference for how or why you would cope with such a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that our first framework has to be recognizing that you might be dealing with someone going past that shock. I mean, true, like physical shock threshold when it doesn't seem like what they're reporting in their history is that big. Whereas you also could be hearing a story that's truly sounds traumatic and their nervous system, that person's nervous system may never have got anywhere near shock or trauma. So it's difficult to wrap our mind around that the actual story, the actual historical things that happened, aren't what determine this shock or this trauma. And it's hard to, hard to process. Mm -hmm. So the perception of the person in relation to what happened is the thing that makes the difference. Yes, it sure is. It sure is. Now, how this helps us is we start to not get sucked into the story and believe that there's no other way for them to see it. You get that idea? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just my opening frame to the topic. I mean, um, ask away anything you'd like, Robbie. So with what you just said, a lot of people who like to help people think that to be a good person, they must get sucked into the story or feel sympathy for the person and, and, and approach it from that point of view. And so I've, I've found with people who train here to be hypnotists that that's something that we need to help people uh, grow through so that they don't... People like soap operas and they also like to feel like they're a good person. So sometimes that's the focus that people have when they're helping people with this sort of thing. I guess all I can share on that subject is what my belief is. In order to be a good person, I must follow the process for that client to get them where they need to go. 
Mm-hmm. Now that is different than in order to be a good person, I must go into sympathy to prove I care. I'll get in rapport with that person to a degree, but if I need to interrupt a pattern or if I need to go a different way or I need to use a different modality, including possibly the ending of the therapeutic relationship with that person or or shifting and creating a conflict, which is definitely a very small percentage of cases, but I mean, that does come up. And you need to be flexible enough to do what that person needs, do you not? Yes, for sure. So I think that my belief on it is in order to be a competent person in that role, I need to be willing to do what it takes to take them through going from to denial to anger to bargaining to sadness to acceptance and then from acceptance to the way that they're going to heal at this point. Now, if they have real physical trauma, I'd probably take them through it until they can become neutral about it in hypnosis, but not much. And I would use a structure like timeline from NLP rather than traditional regression, which we'll talk about on a separate podcast someday. But like why, why use modalities that work better than, you know, associated regression? Because we don't want to really install a false memory and we don't want to cause false cause and effect relationships or get them to miss other things or whatever. So there's all kinds of reasons why we would, we would use a certain way to process what they've gone through physically. What you're looking for is that they come down off of that heightened sense of alert or that heightened sense of dissociation. And you're looking for their being able to associate and dissociate in a normal flow like they would to some degree if the trauma hadn't occurred. I mean, you're, you're trying to either see them not coping by always dissociating and overanalyzing, or you're trying to see them not cope by, you know, being in hypervigilant intensity. You know, you're, you're trying to see that they can, their mind can focus on others in a normal time frame, focus on themselves in a normal time frame, focus dissociated and thinking and associated and enjoying or whatever in, let's say, a, a casual, easygoing way, or a, at least a useful, mostly accurate way. Okay. You know, and you're doing various techniques until you see that taking place. Um, but I, I think that uh, a lot of people believe that just exposing the cause of the trauma is the solution, and it really isn't. I mean, there's the process of letting it go, the process of forgiving it, the process of running its course and getting them to where acceptance is taking place and adaptation and adjustment is really taking place is the point. And and so when they adapt to the trauma or the sensitizing event, that whole strategy of adapting to the sensitizing event is a different adaptation than regular everyday life. That can cause uh, thrill-seeking to infinity because they don't want to come down out of the intensity of it, or it can cause avoiding stimulus and wanting to be almost hiding out because they can choose many different ways to react to the same event. There's not one way that a person responds to that stimulus, is there? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, whatever technique you're doing, you're looking for them loving everyday life, enjoying everyday life, having a relationship with everyday life where they're not feeling different than the rest of the population in a radical way. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a, a few months ago, I had an inquiry from somebody who said that they had been sexually abused as a child and now they, they're happy in their life now, but it still crops up every now and again. It's still an issue, but it does, it's not like a major issue. And so this person was concerned about getting help because they were worried that it would open a can of worms when mostly things are going well. And so I was wondering what your advice would be to somebody in that situation. Um, well, there aren't just, there isn't just one type of person in that situation. There's a population of people who really went through it. There's a population of people who have created false memory because of bad therapeutics, or there are people who have that happen because they're trying so desperately to figure out why they feel a certain way. So you have people who really went through it. You have people who are pretty sure they went through it, but may or may not have, may or may not have. You have a population of people who have really adjusted pretty well. You have a population of people who very much did not adjust very well. Okay. And so if you're a licensed track person and you deal with those kinds of cases, I'd have one set of advice. If it's outside of your scope and practice, I would refer it out to somebody else. You know, there's, there's all kinds of insider information based on the thousands of cases I had in the eighties and nineties that I would be able to give feedback about an individual case with someone that was working on it. But there's a lot of variables when a person says what you're saying that this person said. There's hundreds of possible truths. And, okay. and, and, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but we, we have a jump to conclusions, Matt, as we hear to the various, we, as we hear the various statements of a client, because we have sociologically been trained to be very careful how we respond to those types of things. And so we don't really have a freedom sociologically to really realize there are probably at least a hundred different ways that that may be either the whole truth, not the truth, um, really need more investigating, might have been uh, politics in the family in a different way that's unrelated to that specific uh, process or incident. You know, I, I like to remind people of the case of the guy I regressed who was found beaten in his garage. And I've, I've talked about this on your podcast before. And the first time he thought he, it was Martians and then he thought it was demons. And then he finally realized it was his neighbor and his wife. So what people say under hypnosis or what they think in their memory is what they will allow themselves to think. And realize that sometimes that can get really peculiar. And hypnosis isn't truth serum. As a matter of fact, truth serum isn't even truth serum. You know, people don't sometimes even know what's going on. So if you want to help people who are wounded, if you are, if that's your mission, if you're helping people who've gone through traumatic experiences, a person can be traumatized and not really have a good idea of exactly how they got traumatized. Mm-hmm. Or, or even if they think they know, it, it's just their perception. So they might not. That's true of all of the memories in our life completely, 
But what I'm, what I'm getting at is that the process of getting somebody over a trauma, whether it's a process from NLP or the lexicon of hypnosis activities that we do, or even if it's a traditional therapist trying to, you know, talk it out, let's say, um, the process of getting somebody through that sort of thing is the process and the content of what actually took place. That's the purview of people like law enforcement. That's the purview of people like attorneys and whatnot. That's not the purview of somebody helping someone to get over a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we have to know is that the motives of someone coming into our office might not be to heal. The motives might be to be punitive or punishing because they're going through life in resentment. Or their motives might be to lie in order to create a dynamic for one reason or another because of their own pathology. So there are the people who are the genuine folks who have gone through very unfortunate things, but they're not the only population of people who present with those problems. And of course, we don't really want to bias in one way or another. We want to follow a process, Mm -hmm. whatever that process is. Right. And so how we look at it is that we're focused on what needs to happen next for this person. How do they want to function in their life now and in the future? And so we're just helping them free themselves to do that. We don't really care what happened. The story doesn't matter. Well, not the details of the story. Maybe we know they need to forgive the past, whether it's forgive themselves or forgive the other situation. Or maybe we know that they need to adjust and reframe their experience in one way or another from the past. Maybe we know that, but we know it in a very general way, in a context. Mm-hmm. Then we are also focusing on what do they need to do in the future in a context. But the very specific things, the, the details of it are not where the person is going to adjust, adapt, or change. That's where they're going to convince themselves they're stuck or they're going to label themselves. And of course, that's not what our outcome is, is it? Mm-hmm. No. So we, uh, we meaning the ubiquitous, uh, all people who want to help people to heal or change or grow, all the various teachers and coaches and therapists and people who are in that role, we have our own biases and our own beliefs. Some people need to be a hero and some people want to be, uh, you know, they're, they're a healthy helper where the most important thing is that they've helped the big trauma, you know. I met one therapist once whose entire life was that he believed he was the only person who could do all this stuff, you know, and and the thing that was ironic about this guy is he was a dentist, but he believed he was the best change worker in hypnosis, you know, and, and the thing is, the, the basic point is that we have our own personality and we have our own biases and we have our own egos and we have our own all kinds of stuff in the way. And what the processes do is they help us to get those out of the way. So I'm I'm not really focused on which processes to use in this kind of a podcast. That's more for a training or a, you know, a a paid environment or whatever. And of course, we teach different things. If your scope of practice is that you're licensed track versus if you're a consulting hypnotist, because the jurisdictions in various areas allow different activities. So, you know, we have to understand who should be doing which activity. Of course. But I think that our, our main point 
is that there's no direct correlation between the specifics of what happened and what that person might need to do to adjust, heal, grow, adapt, change. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you have any other questions or thoughts about this? Yeah. So for people who may not know about how we use things like forgiveness or some other techniques in hypnosis to help with this sort of thing, can you just generally address what the difference is between something like talk therapy or regression and the approach that we will use with people? Um, well, think about it sort of like this. Some approaches to change are what we'll call relationship-based. Like they go from dependency to independence to intradependence, or they take the person from dependent to independent, for example. And the whole idea is that they're, they're depending on the therapist and then they're no longer depending on the therapist, for example, and so on, right? So when you think about things like, oh, the fact that some... I once heard a psychologist joke, I have 60 clients my first year in practice and I'll retire with the same 60 clients. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good way to go about it, right? So some activities are based upon, in that mode, are based on the relationship itself. Other modes are based upon um, revelation, that, that the revealing of the cause is curative in itself. And I find that to be false most of the time. I find that I think that, you know, a lot of people have been complaining about the same thing that they know happened for 20 years or more. And the revealing of it did not make them change their mind or make them better or make them different. Right. Right. So there are certain modalities with regard to how the nervous system sees something in the brain, in the visual storage of the brain, or hears it in the auditory storage of the brain or feels it in the body and the neurology that is sensory based. The talking in the head is only labeling those real senses, sight, sound, and touch, taste, and smell, and the actual kinesthetic response within the body to those emotions, which is why sometimes when people are getting massage therapy, a muscle will let go and they'll cathart, for example, because they're storing that in the way they're holding the body or whatever. That also happens sometimes during acupuncture. So um, we are aware that, or at least the evidence seems to support that an approach that has to do with how they're seeing it, how they're hearing it, how they're feeling it, how they're shifting it, and whether or not they can shift their perspective upon it determines whether they can change, heal, grow, let go of something, and so on. So the first way that it's different is it's not content-driven. It's how the sensory storage is working and where and how they're storing it and what that means to that individual with regard to how they're feeling in the body, how they're seeing it, what their strategy for adapting happens to be. So we're working on that general overall strategy and how that feeling is in the nervous system far more than we're dealing with content, for example. Uh, that's one difference, okay? But um, there's, there's other ways to look at it, but it starts to get complicated enough that it again, would deserve a whole training. So I don't think we should go any more in the weeds there. Okay. 
All right. Um, so if we have people who are traditional therapists who are wondering, should I get training in hypnosis to add to my practice, um, talk a little bit about how this complements or works with what they may be doing already. Well, it doesn't always. Uh, sometimes they're better off uh, trying this on its own in its purest form first before trying to blend it. Just kind of, you might have a good salad and good ice cream, but you don't want to put the salad and ice cream together. So sometimes they need to try it on its own and step away from what they were doing for a while to realize why this works and how it works in the way it works. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to get them to do that because most of them want to be very eclectic and just add it to what they already know. Okay. They want to pick and choose based on their previous experiences. To those people, I would say talk to Daniel Burrow, talk to Julie Nice, a lot of the license track people we've trained in the past, perhaps read Dan's book, A Bigger Picture, uh, where he moved from uh, being a psychologist traditionally to using a lot of the modalities of hypnosis and so on. And uh, I would say perhaps check with the people who've done this before to realize the various things that people do in license track to make this take longer than it should take to learn or how they can dismiss something that works great because they're trying to blend it with a different theory too early, you know? So sometimes it really is a compliment to what they were doing in, in the past. And sometimes it really does plug in, right? But there are a high percentage of people who come in and train where it takes them an extra chapter because they're trying to combine things too early. They're not mastering what they're learning here with enough purity to uh, understand what's happening and why it's working. Right. And I've seen that as well with some hypnotists who've been trained elsewhere and perhaps they already use regression. Sometimes they've healed themselves or they believe they've healed themselves with regression. And when they've had that experience, they feel very attached to it. And, and right. so them willing to be open to discovering something new and something that really is generally safer and easier for people can be challenging. Well, the thing is, the emotional drama of catharsis and ab reaction makes people think that catharsis and ab reaction are curative in themselves, and I radically disagree with that. But the basic, the basic point that I'm getting at with your your point is well taken, and I've I've gone through decades of retraining hypnotists, and the vanity of being able to have the intimacy and and emotion and drama that surrounds associated regression. It's very difficult to, to get them to let go of the transference and reverse transference that happens around that model and the admiration they think they're getting from clients. And it's hard to get them to understand that it would be different and better or that they'd have even more admiration with a different model because there's so much transference, so much reverse transference, and so much uh, what they're thinking of as magical revelation and drama. And of course, I practiced that way my first five years. I know what they think. I know how they're feeling. But, you know, they're the only one who's ever done it in their head or something. You know, because their clients are telling them, oh, you're the only one who ever helped me. Oh, thank God you're here. And they don't realize the client is telling that to every therapist they saw. Right. And there, there is an ethics point here, too, because if we have a, a safer way to help people than them having to go through something like regression, it really uh, 
is a good idea for people to learn it who are helping others so that they can... Well, it's a huge ethics point, but it's also a huge ethics point with regard to uh, most of the lawsuits or issues that happen with hypnosis happen around regression. Okay, so it's not just the client that is handled better. It also protects the hypnotist better because the hypnotist has less liability problems if they're not opening the client to false memory and so on. Mm-hmm. And then so, insurance rates are proof of that because the insurance companies charge extra for people to do regression. Right. And so, and the, and the reason for that is not because of its wild results. It's because of the problems with it. But of course, you know, that's not how the industry talks about it. But this call isn't really about that. And I know that, so I don't want to get too caught up in that either. But in order to help people with past trauma, the point that we are making is that you want to learn steps that tend to assist in that process. And then after you learn those steps, you want to apply those steps as, as, uh, routinely as possible, rather than getting caught up in the story. Mm-hmm. You don't want to empathize to the point where you are not effective. And, you know, the best analogy for that is don't get into the quicksand with the person you're trying to pull out. Then you just have two people dying in quicksand. You know, yeah. so do you have other questions you're after? I think that that covers the the key points that I, I felt the audience would like to hear about this. So unless there's anything else you want to share on this theme. You know, we're doing the advanced training down here in Orlando this weekend. And, and uh, a lot of those people have already been hypnotists for decades. And when we're doing an advanced training, what we're talking about is blending many dozens of techniques that happen simultaneously in layers. And so a lot of the time when people are in basic or in they're in maybe the intermediate the amount of experience that it takes to recognize what might be wrong with a, a technique, a lot of people don't have this, enough clients to realize what a person who's advanced and has seen thousands and thousands of people knows. Because if you see 10 people in a row that you think things went okay with, you're thinking, this is going great. You know, but 100 people later, you go, oh, wait a minute, this isn't how I thought it was. Mm-hmm. To even add to that, it may seem to be growing great in the moment, but what happens when they go back into their real life and, right. and life unfolds? Well, what you're adding is very smart, and that's why we have programs instead of single sessions. You know, we, we don't allow single session pro- processes because if you never have any follow up, you never have any accountability, not for the hypnotist or for the client. And that's just nonsensical. Mm hmm. Person leaves hugging, everybody thinks everything's great, high five, high five. Nobody knows what happens after that. And just calling them and asking them, it is not enough. So I agree. Accountability is the key. And I appreciate that. Thanks for interviewing me, Robbie. I, I look forward. Are you I can't remember, are you coming to this or are you showing yeah, up in I'll be there tomorrow at one o'clock. All right. Well go have fun. We'll talk to you soon. All right, great. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Yep. Bye. If you are wondering how hypnosis can help you with weight loss, next week you will get the chance to meet two people who have tried everything and finally learned how to realistically lose weight with hypnosis. They will share with you their experiences of how hypnosis was the difference that made the difference for them. And to find out more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com for more info and to schedule your free consultation. 
Remember to click the button to subscribe, share the podcast with a friend, and please leave us a review so you can help others benefit from the podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free consultation. 